Coach Scroggs was amazing because I learned from him how to walk softly and carry a big stick. And it's not what you say, but it's how you say it, how you run things. You can be quiet. You don't have to be boisterous. And so I learned that from him. Welcome to the Fred Opie Show, where you learn how to make a difference on and off the field. I'm your host, Fred Opie, an athlete turned author, producer, professor, and editor. I use my story and the stories of others to help you figure out what your gifts are, find the right places and activities to develop them, and give you a plan to give, save, and spend your money and time wisely. Our guest today, Mac Ford, a University of North Carolina alum and Hall of Famer. He earned All-American honors at the Gilman School in Maryland before attending UNC, where he won a national championship in 1982. His individual honors include the 1985 ACC Player of the Year, North-South All-Star Game MVP in 1985, All-Club Honors, 1990 U.S. National Team Selection, and the Best Attackman at the 1990 World Games. Mac has also made an outstanding contribution to the game as the head girls lacrosse coach at Notre Dame Prep in Maryland. We unpack his lacrosse journey today on the Fred Opie Show. What is the oldest thing you know about your family history? The oldest that I know for, for sure was that on my maternal side, my um, great-great-grandfather used to be a tugboat captain up and down the Chesapeake Bay. He owned a fleet of tugboats. On my paternal side, my, uh, my great-great-grandfather moved to the eastern shore, a place called Cambridge, uh, Crisfield, I guess from Ireland. That's where my, uh, my grandfather, who I'm named after, grew up as a young boy. So Mac is short for McNamara. My grandfather is Harry McNamara Ford, and my dad is Harry McNamara Ford Jr., and I'm... Harry McNamara Ford the third, okay. and there is a fourth. I go by Mac. My dad goes by Harry, and my uh, my grandfather passed away many years ago. And my my son uh, goes by uh, Mac as well. Are there any athletes in your lineage? My father played at uh, Washington and Lee, and then um, played in the North South All Star Game. But even better is, is my mom. My mom's a, just a natural athlete, and she she didn't play in college, but she's a heck of a golfer and was a terrific tennis player later in life. But she, you know, everybody says I got my athletic ability from, from my mom. So you didn't have a choice but to be a good athlete, sounds like. <laughs> I was lucky. I was lucky. So you mentioned your dad played in the North-South All-Star game with some pretty famous people, and my radar as an historian went up. Tell me who would be some of those famous people that I might know. All-American uh, Rennie Smith, who uh, coached with uh, Buddy Beardmore for many years when, uh, when Maryland won the back-to-back championships uh, before the, the streak of not winning a championship. Your dad an attackman as well? well? He was a midfielder. He always wanted me to... Learned to play midfield as young, but he, would, he really wanted me to play attack because he said that uh, as a midfielder, he'd do all the work and give it to the attack when they'd score the goal and they'd get all the glory. <laughs> Did you grow up having a catch with your dad in the house and the whole bit? So he introduced me to the game, but after baseball. So I grew up playing baseball in the spring and uh, threw the ball around and, uh, you know, in the backyard. 
you know, I was more of a baseball player up until the the uh, sixth grade, and he said, you know, I really want you to try lacrosse. I have a feeling that you try lacrosse in seventh grade. We'll let you do both. I have a feeling you might not go back to baseball, and I sort of laughed at that. But once I tried it, I, I decided that, uh, yes, it was more exciting than uh, baseball, and I never went back to baseball after the seventh grade. Amazing player, and why you still remember that person. Uh, yeah, I remember Ema McEnany was uh, part of the great national championship teams at Cornell in the uh, in the 70s but I remember him because he was he was short he was like 510 and I'm about 510 and I just identified you know his style of play he was very very aggressive and I remember him just hitting a, a big defenseman on a ride so hard knocked him down took the ball went and scored and one of the greatest riders in the game and he just did it all great great feeder just i just remember uh him i remember frank urso growing up as a boy you know second first team all four-time first team all american for university of maryland watching him not a big guy but uh just had this aura about him whenever he had the ball made things happen those are two in particular just as a young boy growing up in the sport where you're most impressionable. Those those two were very, very impressionable in me. What other sports did you play besides lacrosse? So I played football and basketball at Gilman and, and lacrosse. It was great because I could play three sports at that time. You don't see that too often anymore, unfortunately. Football is one of the greatest sports uh, for me growing up. So I was a wingback and a defensive halfback. I was able to play both ways. It was a very, very good football team in the state of Maryland, and we would play at the highest level. It got to be more on a national ranking in the top 25 when uh, when Biff Pogey and Joe Ehrman uh, started coaching. And it's always been a very, very good program in the state. What about basketball? I was a point guard. Yeah, I'm not a great shooter. I could pass the ball. I could dribble it and pass. A little bit of defense. I was not a starter, purely a role player on the basketball court. So tell me, walk me through your decision to go to college. Obviously, top one was North Carolina, just because they had started to jump up to the, in the top top ten when I was starting to, to look. And Washington and Lee, where my father went, I was a big Cornell fan uh, growing up. One of my idols growing up was Eamon McEnany. Remembered him and watching Mike French. So that was a big, big school I was looking at. University of Penn was another one. The University of Virginia. But really three were Carolina, Washington, Lee, and, and Cornell. On that Gilman cross team, who were other notable players? We had uh, Del Dressel. Another Hall of Famer, Del Dressel. Four-time first-team All-American at Hopkins. Del and I were uh, were in the same graduating class, and then we had Joey Seibold. Joey's in the uh, Greater Baltimore Hall of Fame. Goalie named J.B. Howard, who went to North Carolina with me. Taylor Classen, who went to North Carolina. Robbie Russell, who had left my junior year and went up to Lawrenceville, came down and played with me at Carolina. The midfielder converted to defense, long stick defense. Uh, he and uh, along with Chris, uh, Chris Walker. Gary Seibold, 
Joey's brother was on that team. Sandy Brown, who is now the commissioner of the uh, MLL, and went to Washington and Lee. A close friend of mine named Henry Gallier, who went up to uh, Denison. Everybody on that team, for the most part, went somewhere and played lacrosse in college. Explain to folks the significance of winning the MSA. Why that is such a pinnacle experience as a high school lacrosse player? Well, the MSA uh, back then, which is now the MIAA today, is made up of schools that have a long, long history of lacrosse. And so it is, uh, you have St. Paul's, Calvert Hall, Loyola, Gilman, Boys Latin, Severn Schools, St. Mary's of Annapolis, Archbishop Spalding of of Annapolis. There are well-known schools that play, you know, have had a history of playing uh, schools from New York and and uh, all over the country. It's a very, very competitive league. We played each team twice, so home and away. So it was, it was very, very competitive. We didn't necessarily have a championship game. It was really, you know, who won the league. You know, the regular season winner won the league. Win that league and go through, it's like a gauntlet. You know, you, you never can rest on who you just beat. And so it really prepares you for college, that's for sure. It's, it's just a tremendous battle uh, within that league of all the different private schools. And, and you know everybody. You know, mm-hmm. you'll see everybody out, play with those players that you play against in high school. You play against them or you might be teammates in college. Some of my best friends are, are guys that I played with in that league that we're very, very close today. Why Carolina for you? Well, the three were Carolina, Washington, and Lee, and Cornell. And um, at the time, uh, we had spent some time in, in North Carolina. We had some very, very close uh, family friends who lived in Henderson, North Carolina. And <clears throat> I grew up as a avid Maryland Terrapin basketball fan. And we always had a family rivalry because the family that was living in North Carolina we were good friends with were avid North Carolina State fans mm-hmm. and North Carolina was a you know was just a great basketball powerhouse so everything sort of revolved around basketball at that time and so I was very familiar with the state of North Carolina and University of North Carolina and at that time University of North Carolina was starting to recruit heavily in the Baltimore Maryland area there were a lot of players that were a couple of years ahead of me that were starting to to uh, to go to University of North Carolina. I had friends that, that had gone to North Carolina that had also gone to both uh, Washington and Lee and Cornell. And my decision was, I, you know, I, I didn't know until uh, Willie Scroggs called me on the phone. And that was the sort of the midway through the fall of my senior year. Up until that point, it was... Cornell and, and uh, getting transcripts to them, and then Washington and Lee, and that time it was Jack Emmer at Washington Lee and Richie Moran at, at Cornell. But once Willie Scroggs called, and, and if he calls, he's interested. He might just call once, and, that, and he, he's interested, and that's what I came to find out. And at that point, once he called, it was that, that's really where I wanted to go. I knew that they were building a tremendous program, and I knew that they had some sensational athletes that had, that had gone down there a year or two before. What was your major? Majored in speech communications. How did you come to that decision? So my dad worked for uh, Leg Mason, and so I had a feeling that 
at some point in time, I would get into uh, sales of some sort. Becoming a stockbroker, maybe it was something else. So I, I figured I'd, I'd better learn how to talk to people, get a little confident. How I came to getting involved in that major and minored in, in business, but I enjoyed it. What would you make as a required course to get ready for life before one leaves UNC Chapel Hill? What would be in your course? My required course is not even being taught. It should be taught in high school and, and college. It should be a financial course on how to manage money, personal money, running a bank account, to understanding interest rates, to understanding credit cards, to understanding insurance, mortgages, and everything that you're going to need once you, once you become your own person and start making money. Do simple things that uh, they don't teach in high school and, and college, and it should be a mandatory course of just how to handle money for the long term. It would help, help every graduate you know, significantly. So that would be my required course. Tell me about playing for Hall of Famer Willie Scroggs. What was that like? It was interesting. When we were weightlifting or outside of the practice field, he was very quiet. He just would observe, didn't really carry on much of a conversation, very, very quiet, almost to the point where you're sort of like nervous even going up and saying hello, coach. You didn't, had no idea what he was thinking. On the practice field, you know, he controlled the whole practice, and that's where he, uh, he was a teacher, he let the assistant coaches coach, but he controlled the whole practice on how it was run, wind sprints at the end of practice. We had a great deal of confidence in what he was doing, the program he put together, the athletes that he, he recruited. He didn't say a whole lot, but Coach really didn't need to. I mean, I can tell you right now, after graduating, I, I have a much, much closer relationship to Coach Scroggs than when I played for him which is great. He takes care of his players who played for him, you know, on the field and off the field. He's, he's a true Hall of Famer in my book. At what point did you sense from him that you had the green light? Early on as, as a freshman, uh, we were coming off of an un, undefeated national championship year, previous year, my senior year in high school, and, and I was able to, uh, you know, it was in the four-man rotation on attack, and he got me a lot of time, and he let us have the, you know, the green light from the very, very beginning. There was nothing that I felt, even as a freshman playing with first-team All-American uh, Mike Burnett and, and Dave Wingate or Brent Vocal that you know, I could do what I, what I needed to do and make my own decisions on the, on the field. And so from an early on, you know, he gave me a lot of confidence, never pulled the reins back, so I felt like I always had the green light. Coach Scroggs was amazing because of the because I learned from him how to you know how to uh, walk softly and carry a big stick and not what you say but it's how you say it uh, how you run things you can be quiet you don't have to be boisterous and so I learned that from him uh, but a lot of the other coaches you know it could have been one or two or three things techniques or how to look at a game how to view it made tremendous impact. The show will be right back. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, 
Stitcher, and iTunes. The best way to support the podcast is to tell a friend, share the show on Facebook and Twitter, or send them to our website at fredopie.com. Please email me at fdopie at gmail.com and share your questions. I will repeat them on the show so people get the benefit of your question and my response. You can purchase a copy of my autobiography slash career advice, Start With Your Gift, on Amazon.com. The book is available in digital form as an ebook and audiobook. We are the sum total of the people we spend time with and the books we read. Be a difference maker right now. Use your smartphone or computer and purchase two or more paperback copies of Start With Your Gift. Give them away and make a positive impact on someone's life. Now back to the show. But an amazing game that you remember that you played in and why? Well, I guess uh, right off the bat would have been our Johns Hopkins game. First time ever that Johns Hopkins came down to North Carolina to play North Carolina at Fetzer Field. It was my sophomore year, and uh, we had just, well, excuse me, it was my, yep, it was my sophomore year. And uh, we had just won the national championship and beat Johns Hopkins in the national championship year, the year before. So um, we were playing. It was the first time that they traveled down to Chapel Hill. And it was, it was a packed house at Chapel Hill. I mean, we, it was really the first time that our stands were completely full ever for a lacrosse game. And uh, it was a great game. We pulled it out. I think it was it was either thirteen to twelve or twelve eleven. Just went toe to toe. Just an exciting game. I just remember walking off the field, just you know, giving it all you got and pulling out a victory. And it just couldn't have been any sweeter. How did you and your family pay for your UNC degree? My dad and mom were very very fortunate. They were able to uh, pay for uh, pay for my tuition. I didn't get a scholarship to North Carolina until after my freshman year and uh, into my sophomore year. Coach Scroggs gave, gave me a partial scholarship. We were just very fortunate. Uh, my dad was very, very successful at what he did, and um, I was very, very blessed. A Hall of Famer, first team All-American while he was in college, wins the national championship. He's in the starting rotation as a freshman, and he's not on scholarship. It's an absolute fantasy world to listen to what people think will happen as they tote their child around from one clinic to another clinic to one personal trainer to another trainer to one showcase to another showcase. What would you say to people in the audience who have a 15, 14, 13-year-old boy or girl and they're thinking they want to play college lacrosse and get a scholarship? tell my my girls and parents of my girls that I coach and each division one program only has 12.6 scholarships for for men and 12 scholarships for women it's almost unheard of to get a full scholarship and then very very few people are getting half scholarships and maybe more getting quarters so you're looking at maybe 20 25 percent if you're lucky enough to get a scholarship at all the value of going through the tournament, club tournament schedule, and the different camps, you know, you're, you're ending up paying a lot more than what you're going to get in return from a scholarship. 
value in it is that you're having fun watching your child do, hopefully, what they love to do, grow and become confident in the sport that they really enjoy. And hopefully, knock on wood, that sport gets them into a better college than they originally thought it might get them into. Or it might be an added bonus to their grade point average plus all the community service work or the extracurriculars that they do to get them into a you know an Ivy League or a you know or a Duke or someplace and then they can play the sport they love. Parents can watch their son or daughter play the sport they love and have a ball. But to spend the incredible amount of money and think that you're gonna be repaid with a scholarship, it's just not not gonna happen. Very rarely does somebody get a full ride. So Mac, tell people what you do for a career right now. So I'm a financial advisor for Morgan Stanley. I work with my dad who's been in the business uh, over 50 years, and I work with my brother, who is a year younger than I am, but been in the business for about 25 years. Been in this business for about 23 years. So that's what I do on a full-time basis. And then my part-time hobby, I am a a girls lacrosse coach at Notre Dame Prep School in uh, Towson, Maryland, where I coach uh, lacrosse for the last four years. During the spring, that's the, the best two hours of my day. Probably rapid fire in the last couple of minutes that we have about your wheel of life. Tell me, how do you keep your, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions strong and positive? Well, I, I constantly uh, listen to uh, motivational speakers. I constantly listen to, uh, um, obviously, sermons and uh, uh, church and, and read uh, coaches, um, life stories and and thoughts and and just try to keep a very optimistic attitude all the time. Hmm. Do you have any uh, favorite books in the realm of, uh, you know, keeping your mind, you will, motivational speakers, favorite authors, uh, books that it just been riveting you that you'd recommend to our audience? A uh, must is Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People uh, would be uh, probably my favorite. Uh, constantly go back and, and read that. Seven uh, Habits of Highly Successful People, uh, Stephen Covey, mm-hmm. um, Norman Vincent Peale, any of his books. These are old, old authors who, um, they're timeless. Uh, you don't have to read the whole book. You can read the chapter and just feel, feel great, you know, and, and learn something, pick up a tip that'll help you uh, throughout your life. I mean, how do you keep yourself spiritually strong? So I enjoy the word listen to different sermons so it's uh it's a daily thanks you know spiritually is is something that uh i think i was just grew up with my family and and understanding the power and uh i just keep giving thanks for the blessings i've had when's the last time you cried and why i cried about a month ago my uh, team uh girls team just won the, the championship we we beat a team from McDonough School had a 198-game winning streak. Wow. And it was at the U.S. Lacrosse Center. And uh, after all the excitement and everything, and I was going over to a, a party driving by myself, and I just uh, just wept in the uh, in the car, just remembering the uh, how hard it got 
it, you know what it took to uh, to finally get to that point. God is great, and I've been very, very blessed. And I just it was just a very emotional moment at that time. If you could have dinner with three people that are alive, who are going to be your dinner guests, and why these three? So one would be Nick Saban, the uh, famous coach of Alabama. I've been an Alabama fan because I've paid tuition at Alabama. Young son who just graduated. Being a coach, I've always been fascinated by you know great coaches and famous coaches. So he would be one. Another would be uh, John Wooden. I've read many of his books, and his his philosophy on life uh, is very very powerful. So uh, that would be one that I would have a, a just a phenomenal dinner time with him and then my grandfather who i was named after passed away when i was 10 and i was very very close to him that time i would love to have dinner with him today and uh, tell him everything that i've done i'm sure he's he knows all about what i've done and and my family and and my father and what he's done so so those would be my three have you read kareem's new book uh coach wooden and me I have not, not yet. I'd put it on my top ten book. If you're a John Wooden fan, you're going to get some insights that you, I, that I certainly didn't know about. Let me ask you, if I gave you $10 million, what causes would you support and why these causes? Support homeless, uh, helping the homeless. Uh, we, when I go from my office back to my home, I go through Baltimore City, and there are uh, people in every street corner you know asking asking for money and i keep uh and i think it was uh, i heard my brother mitch and chris walker they said you know why don't, why don't we just keep like an envelope of dollar bills up on your visor give it out to people people are going to come up and ask you and that's their job in my mind that looks that's their job for the day they're 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 begging but that's you know, their job so i constantly keep dollar bills so if i to give more out to the homeless and, and help them find shelter and food and, and get the homeless uh, opportunities to, to work, um, to become self-sufficient in the, in the Baltimore City. Hmm. Uh, that might be what I would spend that, uh, that money on, first of all. What is the kindest thing someone's ever done for you? That's a great question. I mean, right off the bat, you know, my mom and dad, and uh, what they've done for me to, uh, you know, to be where I am today in life and to have a family that I have and what I've learned from them. And, I, you know, and they're just uh, very, very generous to all my, my kids. And, uh, you know, so I would, I would think that uh, I, I, can't, I can't look too, for, too far from, uh, from right at home. I mean, I would think they're probably they're the most kindness, uh, you know, that I've, that I've seen. Last question. I didn't tell you it was going to come, but uh, we have enough time to fit it in, so let's do this one quickly. I want you to write a book of success, and success on my show is having the greatest, greatest positive influence around you, which seems to me that you're locked into that already. I want you to share three chapter titles in your book of success. What would be three of the chapter titles? Uh, read a positive chapter from a, a from a motivational book from the could be a spiritual book like the bible but uh, read at least a, a chapter a day where you can get your mind uh looking forward and um 
and, and positive. Um, second would be speak what you want. Speak verbally your goals mm. on a daily basis on where you want to be. And third would be visualize. Get pictures of what you want in life, where you want to be, whether it's you know material things or whether it's you want to be part of a national championship team. You get a picture and put that in your room or, or by your desk uh, of things that you want, of your goals, and uh, visualize that every day. That's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. To hear more content like it, go to fredopi.com. If you have questions about advertising and sponsoring this show, contact us at fdopie at gmail.com. That's fdopie at gmail.com.